Content warning for discussions of oppression and Jonestown. Hello and welcome to the Billy Shears Club. I'm your host, Caleb Clark, and with me today we have Leo Casey. How are you doing today, Leo? I'm doing pretty good. Excited to talk about these albums. Glad to hear. Today we do have two lovely albums for you folks. We have the original Broadway recording of Wicked and Mexican uh, Moon by Concrete Blonde. How about you take us off with a little bit about Wicked? So Wicked is a Broadway musical that came out in 2003. The lyrics were by Stephen Schwartz and the uh, play itself was by Winnie Holzman. Uh, It's based off of a 1995 novel uh, written by Gregory Maguire. Uh, Gregory Maguire originally uh, wrote the novel. Uh, He doesn't want it to be put in any time and place. He's made a lot of comments about this, but uh, in part, he's mentioned that the musical was written sort of as a, in part, a personal response to feelings he had around propaganda, around the Gulf War, uh, talking about how, uh, like, comparisons to uh, Hitler around Saddam Hussein uh, made him realize, like, a lot of the um, ways in which propaganda could sweep a person up, not to say that um, Saddam Hussein was not a bad guy, but uh, he uh, went on to have uh, a lot of thoughts. He was also a big protester of the uh, Vietnam War um, about how nationalistic, jingoistic propaganda can sweep a person up and applying that to the Wizard of Oz, uh, talking about uh, the lines between what makes someone... uh, truly an evil person or a terrorist uh, versus what makes them maybe not a good person, but uh, someone who is very so much fundamentally a person. Uh, What did you think of the musical? Have you listened to any of it before? Uh, Oh, I have listened. I heard individual songs definitely beforehand. Like, you know, of course, Defying Gravity, uh, Dancing Through Life, popular. But I had never, like, sat down and seen the entire musical, although we, we may have time for this, but I did see its parody twisted several times, so it was a unique experience. But yeah, it's definitely very, really interesting watch for me personally, like very, th- on the one hand, like, like you say, these very heavy themes that have a surprising level of nuance for, you know, a billion dollar grossing Broadway musical, like, decent amount of, you know, able to not just be clumsy and like there's some good songs in there some interesting character dynamics and then there's some other parts that i wasn't as big on but overall yeah definitely a very thought-provoking type musical it's still you know relative you can still build along with you with your fam in the car but yeah i think i like it no absolutely i'll i'll admit there's a lot of nostalgia goggles uh Mm. on this musical for me uh, I got to see it when I was like, oh gosh, I was like nine or 10 um, back in second grade when it was still playing in Chicago for a birthday present. Um, uh-huh. It was really fun. It was awesome to see on stage, I will say. Um, but um, I, I feel like I didn't obviously get a ton of the themes then because <laughs> I was a little nine-year-old. Um, but... Um, I feel like 
Wicked is both blessed and cursed by having a really great soundtrack, uh, but mm-hmm. also one that, aside from something bad, doesn't necessarily cover everything you would need to understand uh, to get the themes really well. Uh, like mm-hmm. the, the whole animal racism thing, uh, yeah. once again, aside from something bad, doesn't really get covered in any of the songs. Uh, and so if you've only listened to recordings of it, it definitely comes off as more of like a personal acceptance musical, which it sort of is, but honestly not really. Um, like once again, talking about uh, McGuire's book originally, it's, it, is, it is fundamentally a story about Alphaba and her somewhat Glinda as well and their reactions to everything. Uh, but if you completely like miss it, which the theme of uh, her dealing with the animals losing their speech, then all of a sudden a huge part of it's cut out, <laughs> um, which yeah. like, it, it makes sense why they didn't have more songs on it. But honestly, I say that would be one thing that I'm slightly sad about because you get completely transformed songs. Like if you listen to the song, Defying Gravity or No Good Deed Goes Unpunished, let's go with Defying Gravity because everyone knows that song. Without the prior knowledge of the rest of the musical, it sounds like, oh, I, I, I have to go my own way. I can't not be myself. Uh, like, otherwise I'll be uh, to be accepted, which is sort of true. Uh, but within the context of the musical, that song gets turned into... I cannot oppress other people in the way I have been oppressed to get ahead. That's not ethical. Um, which I think... also... oh, sorry, sorry. Aaron, you. you go first. Oh, no. you go, you go. I was, I was jumping in. No, you, no, you. Rock, paper, scissors. All right, one, two, three, scissors. And paper. Okay, you went up, but all right. Um, cheat. Um... <laughs> I mean, you're cheating for me, so I'm. I appreciate that, but uh, <laughs> your flattery will not go unnoticed. Oh boy! Uh, but it is a very. It's a similar-ish sort of theme, but like honestly, I like it a lot better. Uh, the the whole idea of like Alphabet is like a little bit insecure like uh, as mentioned in the song Wizard and I she would like to be degreenified because it makes her life easier but at the same time it's less that she doesn't like herself and it's just she has issues with how she's materially treated um, and she seems to want that more because it's getting in the way of her ability to access the things in society as opposed to like her not liking that about herself and I think that's a really really interesting idea in the musical of like have exploring more of that difficulty of someone who just beyond being accepted by the self is just going more into how much not being accepted by others can screw you over like beyond just it feels bad but like her life is genuinely materially worse and it's what allows for later the government to allow her family to be killed slash kill her family um or turn them into goats um well dr villaman it 
there was a thing. He, he was but, a goat, um, but like he, he, he speaks goat now. He doesn't speak people. Um, yeah. I don't know what language they're speaking. I'm just gonna call it peopleese, um, <laughs> or assume that it's English. I don't know. Sorry for uh, any non-American or non-English or non-Australian users, but um, but uh, it's. I, I think that's, it's a really, it would have been interesting if the, the musical came out today, is what I'm going to say, because I feel like it might be received differently. Uh, but ultimately, I feel like it's a, got these really amazing themes, especially like once you watch it in the context of the musical. But my, my biggest sadness, I think, is that if you do not watch the musical, you are not going to get the themes from the soundtrack. Uh, like, I think you could theoretically uh, get some of them, but like, really, you're not gonna. And so that's why I always push Wicked onto people. <laughs> My tragic yeah. backstory. This is your Joko origin. People <laughs> don't know the, the social political influence of Wicked. <laughs> but, yeah, as far as that, yeah, definitely, I agree. I guess I would argue that, like, a uh, Maybe wonderful or popular is maybe touches on like some of the more themes about the political machine in Oz that's going on. But yeah, overall, like it is, it is pretty broad strokes how the songs connect into the plot. Like, which I think that was probably part part of that might have been like you know it would help uh you know just generally make it or palatable to a wider audience because this is a huge musical like it's the fifth longest running on broadway it's the second highest grossing on broadway of all time so like part of that success is that they probably toned down the political aspects and the big the musical numbers and also like like you had said like when it came out was 2003 which opposed to the last several years which have been you know hypermedia where tons of think pieces was not a hugely media literate time in America, it feels like. From what I can generally tell, so they were probably trying to like, you know, sneak it in and not not get Dixie chicked. Yeah, no, that uh two thousand three seemed to be more of a popular time for smug neoliberalism. Uh <laughs> which Wicked was not. Uh and I think it's part of why it got pegged more as a piece about personal acceptance because that just generally tends to be a more palatable idea um, than a piece about the um, material conditions of the oppressed activist. Uh, but yeah, no, and I, I feel like also the musical in general was about Alphaba and once again, secondarily Galinda's relationship with that uh, and like and i get why they did it but it is a slight bummer but the the songs are absolutely all bops like as you said i think popular and uh wonderful once again do a do a really good job of talking about that um but once again more more in context i feel like popular outside of the context of the musical it seems like galinda's being very vapid and sort of at the first see it uh it does feel like the wind is being very vapid but in some ways i think it's 
she's kind of right um, within the context of me. Like, morally, no. Uh, but the, the second half of the musical is very much... Um, very much depicts how much public image can make or break you uh, in the world of politics. And she is, she's absolutely writing off her very good uh, public image. Like the fact that she can talk to people well, and the fact mm -hmm. that she doesn't make a ton of waves leads to her getting the job that Alphaba wanted, uh, despite not being the first person asked for it. Her story, like, getting completely rewritten, um, her getting all the public adoration, uh, although it, at the end of the day, it feels very hollow for her. Like, I really like that part of Thank Goodness. The, uh, like, like, this is what happiness feels like, I guess. And, like, kind of the start of her turn. I, oh, gosh, they're such a tragic friendship. I love Alpha Bundle <laughs> so much. Well, I've chipped them before I knew what shipping was. I'll be real. <laughs> Yeah, as far as specifically unpopular, like, you know, generally her mantra of in order to have any success, the one determining factor is popularity. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, on a basic level valid, you know, like she feels like, I think it gets overextended in the song and those same flaws in the, like, affecting the Oz political machine in the play because, like, yeah, sure, like, you know, on a basic someone who's popular but has no skills versus someone who has skills but is not popular, the popular person's going to win because, like, if you had a election for president between Kim Kardashian and a random guy who's really good at politics but no one knows his name, Kim Kardashian would win, win just solely by the virtue of more people know her name. But, like, also, like, she states that you don't need, like, smarts or values or anything in order to be popular, which feels faulty in a way, because, like, part of what builds up your image and popularity within politics is, like, you know, your accomplishments and your track record. So she's sort of, like, glossing over that to just be, like, glib. Because it's, like, you can be a talk show host by just, you know, simply being pleasant, but, like, harder to get into, like, more serious realms, which, which she does, but it's also in part due to other attributes that she brings to the table. Yeah, I think specifically noting, for example, I cannot believe I'm going to the analysis unpopular. Uh, the the line like celebrated heads of state as like, mm -hmm. uh, but I think I think wonderful does a better job of going into that though of like the wizard being a very successful manipulator. Uh, yeah. Of uh, like the the line like they say I'm wonderful, so I am wonderful. Uh, of just kind of being what the people need you to be at a very surface level on the moment and then being able to run with that. And I think that's an interesting part that is very similar to the original Wizard of Oz because the wizard very much is a fraud, but like it's sort of played off. Like I'll, I'll be honest, like when uh, I haven't seen the original Wizard of Oz in a hot minute, uh, yeah. and I did see the, the prequel that was book accurate uh, about the Wizard of Oz's backstory but he's sort of seen as kind of like a lovable rogue and the idea that like 
he is just a guy behind a screen is sort of like played off as just like, well, like, you're as amazing as you think you are. Um, and like the power was in you all along, but not really kind of going into the idea that, oh God, the person running a nation is a complete liar. Um, and I absolutely love the wizard's character in this one. He's such, he's such a delightful scumbag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It also helps in the Wizard of Oz movie. I'm, I won't really be going for like the original Bond books because let's, let's face it, this musical is not based on those. It's the witch is green. The Emerald City is actually green, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I think as far it is definitely, yeah, he's very much the con man running around and it's just really intriguing character. Like how he just manipulates everything so that he's able to the same power, like manufacturing a genocide basically, or at least a cultural genocide of the animals that the, you know, setting everything in very black and white terms, you know, I'm the good guy, they're the bad guys. Very potent political manipulations going on here. He's, he's scarily good. Oh, yeah. But, but he's just got this nice little bop to him, you know? Wanda, I'm, oh. I'm he's just, like, dancing. He's oh, yeah. He's the nicest like, guy. I, absolutely. I think the, the, the score of Wonderful does a very good job of conveying that, like, in terms of just, like, it being this sort of, like, really peppy vaudeville tune, but the lyrics are so insidious, and you can absolutely <laughs> see how even someone like Alphaba could get sort of like suckered in even for a moment of just the um, like the wizard is very like the song is very good at like making you feel good. Uh, mm -hmm. Like it feels good to believe the stuff he's saying. Like with both just like the tune and the lyrics, it's just like, yeah, like things are wonderful. And similar with his little bit in the the opening number, the like the have another drink, my dark eyed beauty. Um, like I love that he's just so peppy and jazzy, despite being a disgusting person. Uh, because like it it's very like I said, it's it's so easy to fall for him. Like see him as someone who's just like oh, he's just like a benign, silly grandpa even though he's absolutely not. Um, and I think it's a very good way to, like, contrast, like, with him and like, Galinda, like, her also having sort of, like, these, like, poppy, upbeaty themes, whereas Alphaba has all these, like, dark ballads. Um, yeah. And it, it very much plays into, like, this is the image that these people have. It's just the wizard could sing some reprehensible and it would sound really nice and bubbly like the french national anthem uh <laughs> being horrifying while sounding just very upbeat um but uh alphaba could be singing something really nice that might sound kind of ooh spooky but just that you have to actually pay attention to what they're saying as opposed to what they're conveying and i think that's a really fun addition yeah I, that does remind me of one of the things that i had about the musical that was on like you mentioned the the great use of lyrical dissonance throughout, and that is definitely one of the strengths as far as like composition. But I don't know, some some about the score was always bothering me, and I realized is that like it just sounds very middle of the road, like as in like or the around like late eighties to early two thousand ten style musical where it's got you know sort of 
Andrew Lloyd Webber style fanfares and pop rock influences mixed with more of the Disney Renaissance sensibilities. And it's just very, you know, it's not bad, it's just the standard. Which I feel like if they had, but uh, if they had like leaned into how the original Wizard of Oz movie sounded, where it's like, you know, super sugary, almost a boatload of Norman Glurge, like that soundtrack is just, you know, so cutesy and like, you know, quaint and all that, you know, like if it sounded more like the Munchkin song and like, if I only had a brain, which they sort of go in for like a popular and uh, wonderful. A lot of them, a lot of the, you know, more upbeat ones are still very, they could have been in Rent. That's what I'm saying. The compositions could have been in Rent. Yeah. I, I will say, while I liked, I probably like the score a bit more than you do, I will say, mm. I think Dancing Through Life in one short day is the biggest victim of that. Um, yeah. I, that's the song I skip every time. Uh, and also, it's just not very thematically important. <laughs> like, it's just kind of a meh. And, I, okay, I will also say, as much as I like the lyrics and themes of, like, For Good, I feel like that also mm. is a little disappointing to me, as I, I don't know, I think you described it the best, of just, like, it sounds, it's not bad, it's just there's not anything particularly special about it, and maybe it's because I've heard it sung at, like, a million talent shows, um, <laughs> but I feel like, I mean, no good deed and defying gravity do a better job uh, than for good, which is just sort of like sweet ballad. Um, uh, Something bad is actually a pretty good song, in my opinion. Like the the way that Dillman sings it uh, is just like kind of like the hurried, like he's whispering, like he's almost like afraid to say what's going on out loud as like a virtue of it being true. And like like you said, wonderful and popular are very fun thematically um i think couldn't be happier is also good just like the going back and forth uh between the the style of the intro song where it's these like terrified villagers and then it's just like oh but galinda's here and she's just like all poppy and happy and then fiera's like how are you okay with them saying that she's so evil that pure water could melt her uh also nice job script for um avoiding a holy water reference i could tell that that's sort of what uh they were going for but nice job <laughs> um, i do really like the opening song though that was a bop the oh, oh the the, the no one she's dead yeah. yeah i don't know i liked the very opening you know good news she's dead because that's like so dramatic and such a dissonant note and it fits so well with you know <laughs> Like a ding dong, the witch is dead type thing. Also, we just like I don't know. That was one where like again the very big. It almost sounded like sort of Hunchback of Notre Dame style. that crept in. Like that was a little bit. That was a little bit much for Munchkins. But I don't know. That's a person. That's another personal taste thing. And yeah, what... I. I I personally because I was a big fan of the Hunchback of Notre Dame. I think. It might just be a taste thing as well. Mm. Uh, I really like also the the bit uh, after Galinda starts trying to talk about Alpha's life, like the line that, uh, so it couldn't have been easy, and then they start singing over her, like the no one mourns the wicked yeah. and the dissonant, yeah. and I really, really like that bit. 
Yeah. That's another yeah. thing that I enjoy. Is I love the framing of the musical as like, this is a story that Galinda is telling um, in some way, trying to set the record straight. Um, and I, I like the, like, at the beginning, like she's, the first of all, the beginning, like the funerals, like the, the good news she's dead is like her covering up the fact that she helped her friend fake her death with her boyfriend to run away, which is fantastic. Um, but I, I enjoy like that, that fact becomes more heartwarming as the musical goes on. As like, you see like the horrible stuff and you see the fact that like she, she really sold out hard uh at the end of act one uh and that alpha doesn't even have the heart to be mad at her because just like yeah fair um especially considering she doesn't have much to lose as alpha but like at the end she's like no i'm a i don't want to see you be a bad person like when she's got dorothy captured um but i i do want to try to carry on the work you do maybe not in the same way definitely not the same way because she's a very different person but i i love that framing device uh and that's like a really good way to demonstrate it back and forth and it it, once again that's another one of those songs like the for good in that regard that uh in the context of the musical it's so uh it's so much juicier because it does a better job of showing like no like genuinely uh what alphaba has changed in Galinda for good. Uh, and the fact that Galinda doesn't let her uh, kill a child. Because um, that would be bad. Uh, or so I have been told. Um, no, no death for people under 18 yet. Yeah. Yeah. Once they're 18, it's fair game. Uh, <laughs> most dangerous game. Uh, oh, no. No, no, not actually, not actually. But no, I going back. I I can understand definitely being kind of tired of the style. I think once again, me seeing it when I was younger and listening to it more when it came out, and then listening to other stuff that sounded like it makes me think of like Wicked first. Um, but I think it's one of those things where it's. It's kind of like Star Wars in that regard, where if you see a lot of stuff like it, it's not going to be very good. Oh, yes. It's not going to be very good. I think it is more than Star Wars. I'm sorry. Star Wars is mostly aesthetic. Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, it's aesthetic and lore. If you like lore. Uh, but I think Wicked definitely has more messages behind that, uh, the, the political messaging. But ultimately, I think, yeah, you... you I definitely enjoy the music probably more as someone who hadn't heard a ton of ballady songs in that style before I first heard Wicked, as opposed to listening to Wicked after I'd heard a lot of those. Uh, but I think it's also just a taste, as I, I like bombastic stuff. Yeah, that's fair. I will say I actually did like a good well and i felt like the sweeter style was pretty well suited there just because you know it's like their send-off song to their big complicated friendship that went from you know embittered opposites enemies who like deeply resented to each other to you know glinda trying you know mocking her but alphaba seeing it as kindness because she doesn't pick up on 
social cues apparently, and then like being nice to her, and so they realize, so well, Glinda realizes that she should probably be nicer, and then they become friends, but then it tears apart because again the political stuff, and then they're like trying to make it work, but not really because also it turns out that Fiero wants to eat his vegetables, but then at the end they realize the value they have for each other. Absolutely. Well, I feel like I feel like Alphaba can tell that Glinda pities her kind of from the beginning. Mm. Like, Glinda doesn't do a great job of hiding it. And I think that's part of why they don't right. get along as well in the beginning. Like, mm. um, during... Oh, which song it is where she gives her the hat? Is it Dancing Through Life or is it I'm Not That I Girl? I think it's in Dancing Through Life. Yeah, in Dancing Through Life. That was Life. the one that had a lot of the little skits in the middle, and it's like the one where they all go to the dance hall, and then Elfo's just like, yeah, I'm wearing my hat. Yeah, I feel like that one, she can definitely, she definitely, I feel like it's more like she's taken what she can get in terms of like, you know what, someone's being nice to me at the very least, like, maybe it's out of pity, but like, hey, at least I get something nice. Uh, like, I, I feel like from the beginning, she can tell that Glinda's kind of fake. Like, the general attitude and loathing, yeah. which I love, by the way. It's such a gay song. Um, it's, God, uh, I love the, the idea. Uh, I love the idea of, like, a song that is framing being a rival of someone as, like, in a very romantic way. Like, the, uh, the what's this feeling? That's the name of the song. It just, like, kind of yeah. around it. Just like, oh, boy, I'm having feelings around someone. And that feeling is hate. Um, <laughs> Such a great song in that regard. I, it's so good for so many situations. There's a reason people have made a million animatics about it. Because musically, it's just it's, it's very fun. Uh, like the, the harmonies are really good. Like the beat is very boppy. Uh, but like the lyrics especially, it's just like, oh my goodness. It's, it's yeah. peak. Uh, I had a crush on this girl, but I didn't know how to tell her. So I told her to get out of my school. Um, <laughs> like it's... Fantastic. But then going on to I'm not that girl later is like, ugh, it is. That's another good song of just like that's of like the Alphaba and Galinda relationship of just like Alphaba is honestly, she's annoyed with Galinda, like in the popular as it shows, just like, yeah, please don't make me your project. But it feels more like she's mad at the fact that. Galinda being nice to her is not really going to change anything. It's just like, yep, I guess I'm just not destined for happy things in my life, which is a big oof. Um, Wait, isn't, isn't I'm not that girl about Fiero? Because it's like... So it is, is that... but, uh, it's, but she's talking about uh, like the, there's the girl I know, he loves her uh, so. And like, oh, like the, how she wishes she could be yeah, and she's talking. She in, in that song, she has a few lines about Galinda talking about like someone who is that girl, quote unquote, and how much like yeah, I, that's just she. As much as she doesn't want to admit it because she has so much like academic pride, uh, she wants in some ways to be Galinda, not necessarily to be Galinda, but to like live her life. Um, but that's just not who she is. And I think that's such a fun, uh, like, that's such a fun thread throughout the musical of just, 
like they're of in, okay, I'm trying to remember things in order, of what is this feeling uh, through dancing through life, through not that girl, through fly, uh, defying gravity, couldn't be happier, and for good, like kind of that relationship they have, with, like they start off sort of being like, we're so fundamentally opposite to being like, no, we're going we're gonna to try to be nice, like, but like we realize like we're such different people. It's only going to be like so skin deep to find, to find gravity where they genuinely respect each other despite having very obvious differences. Like the fact that Galinda is willing to hear her out uh, and like they get to have that argument hashed out and that she listens to her and they have that verse where Galinda almost joins her. Um, I think is very much like a bit of like where they develop that more mutual respect starting around uh, couldn't be happier uh, and then going to for good and being like, no, we, we both were not, it's not so that they, they were wrong about each other. Cause like the songs were like, we've, we've changed for good. Like they, they were sort of right on each other's initial, like not entirely right, but we're not entirely wrong either about each other. And what is this feeling of just like, no, they don't like me and we're fundamentally different people, but also that they've both changed in ways to not just become more similar, but to like be able to empathize with each other. And I really love that like song thread. Good. It's, I mean, it's probably one of the big strengths of the musical, like just that relationship and how it evolves. That's probably Absolutely. one of my Absolutely. What would you say was, okay, what would you say, favorite song and least favorite song? Uh, favorite song would probably be either No Good Deed or... Honestly, I can go, like, from day to day between, like, a popular Loathing and Wonderful as, like, the happy song that I like the most, but No Good Deed is definitely my favorite overall, I think. Least favorite, I, I wasn't entirely sure. I, I kind of defaulted on... Dancing Through Life just because it's one of the longer ones and I I just find it a little bit dull. How about you? I, I'd say I similarly, I love No Good Deed because I'm punished. Um, another song, really good in context about like, if you listen to it, you start without context, you think it's about like, oh, it really sucks that uh, my everyone hates me no matter what good things I do because I'll always twist into something bad. And like the more context is just like, and then the government uses it as an excuse to be okay with my family getting killed. Uh, and that like my, my bad PR is literally undoing all the work I'm doing. Uh, yeah. Should I try? Uh, and I, I think that's a really, really heartbreaking, but really interesting song. Um, uh, I liked the one, it's not on a lot of the soundtracks, but I like the song uh, when Nessa is going evil, which is, mm -hmm. it's super yikes, but it's a really uh, interesting bit on how much someone can let, how Alphaba could have turned out if she wasn't a good person. Uh, yeah. A very good song for someone who is bitter at their own hard knocks uh, and then yeah. lashes out. Um, I... I mean, I also like, uh, what is this feeling? Because it's uh, hilarious and lesbian. Uh, least favorite, as I said, uh, I, I could, Dancing Through Life, I agree, could have been cut down, but I think One Short Day is the worst because there's no thematic value in it, in my opinion. Uh, 
and uh, it's just not particularly musically interesting to me. So <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Uh, one sort of thing that I found interesting overall is just like different ways people respond to the like, like you know, one of the big things that we had talked about earlier was like just how the political machine of Oz uses prejudice against animals and later general hatred of Elphaba in order to like you know consolidate its own power give it a goal and make it more well-liked. And it's interesting how I found how, like, different people responded to the call of the machine, like how, uh, you know, the wizard and Madame Morrible both are pretty much like, yeah, we're on board with this. And then uh, how Nessa and Bach are both actually, like, mistreated by the system because Nessa is disabled and Bach is a munchkin, but then they eventually decide to side with the system because of personal reasons of, you know, obsession and revenge and then uh glinda like we had said like she's able to you know exist within the system and become a public figure but she becomes disillusioned over the musical and then we have fiero who it starts okay but eventually grows disillusioned because he doesn't have any real heart in it realizes he needs to follow his morality and then glinda who's offered it but because of her stronger moral compass and also because she's had the mistreatment is able to step away and say no and then, of course, Dr. Dillman, who just has no chance. It's just a very interesting, like, those levels that they portray. Absolutely. No, like, um, like I mentioned with, like, with Nessa earlier, it's, it's very interesting because as someone who sides with the system, she is very much box direct problem. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but she just... She so desperately wants any scrap of power she can get because she feels so embittered by her own being treated poorly by the same system she's using to abuse others that, like, yeah. she refuses to give it up for the chance that, even if it might help her somewhat, because she knows that she can get close enough to what she wants. And that is, ugh, that's something that's, really upsetting uh but really well done and similar with like fiero he starts off as a privileged himbo kind of coming to realize when he starts actually having more responsibilities that he doesn't want to do that to other people uh yeah. leading to his and alphabet's romance which i thought was kind of cute uh yeah. but like it didn't compel me super much like um though what's the the, what's the name of their, their their big romantic song? The oh, is it the reprise of "I'm Not That Girl"? It's like it's called. It's like only tonight or something. Mm -hmm. They kiss me too fiercely, hold me too tight. Mm -hmm. um, but their big romantic ballad. That was another like I just in general. There's very few like musical love songs, which I think are like the peak of any musical that isn't just a romance. Um, that especially from that era, because a lot of '90s, '80s musical, uh, like '90s, '80s, early 2000s musical romance songs, certainly were something. Uh, I think this, <laughs> though the that one in particular was okay. Um, but I like the I like the lyrics and like the context of uh, well. 
the government might kill us tomorrow. So uh, for this moment, oh, it's, as long as you're mine, that's the name of it. Yeah. Uh, like the lyrics are like pretty heartening around uh, that idea, and it it does genuinely feel like really tense and sweet of like just scrambling for any moment of sweetness you can get in a really rough world. But the the score once again it was kind of I think as you said like nothing special uh, and kind of brought it down in that regard. Gosh. Yeah, that's fair. But once again, themes stand strong. Yeah, yay themes. That's yay the themes. Real. They're that's not the just for eighth grade book reports. Yeah, Zach. Goodness gracious. Uh, but yeah, overall, how would how would you rate it uh, out of uh, ten stars? Because the five-star oh. system is silly. I will be wicked and not rated because I still have way too conflicted the feelings. Because I feel like the, like, if I were to, you know, do like, when it's at its high, I feel like it would be like an 8.5. When it says low, I would feel like, you know, 6, 5.7. So I don't, I don't know where to put it in between those extremes. Okay, I guess... Here's a question. Okay, so if you have to write it separately, the plot, uh, mm. so that includes like both the lyrics and the book uh, of the play, uh, and the the score, and just general vibes each separately. Just uh, score, yeah, five out of ten. Vibe, seven point seven. Then. Lyrics and plot, I'll give it an eight, eight point five. I will say the one thing about one other quick thing about the plot is just that, like in the second act, got really hectic. Like in the first act, you know, it's just them at school, and then at the very end, they get to go meet the wizard, and it turns out the wizard's a bad guy. So like that's just a good pace to it, and then it just like speeds up, and everyone's bouncing around in the second act. Like that was a little. Yeah, I I wish I wish the second act was longer. Although I will say, I I think it's a it's, it's a sign that musical at least is not so bad. If your request would be more of that musical, uh, <laughs> please. But no, I, I I feel similarly. I feel like a lot of musicals have the struggle of where it's just like, wow, the second act is comparatively short, but that's where all the resolutions <laughs> happening. Uh oh. Uh, no, I I. I still love it, though. I, I'd say personally for me, just the, the, the characters are so strong uh, that I, I would say plot is a nine for me. I think similar to you, I had the issue with the second half of the musical being too fast, but I, I love it so much. The score for me uh, is probably a six because it varies a lot. Uh, I think it can be really fun. It is a little bit more my taste. But like six six point five, but definitely some of those songs where it slows down a lot. General vibes, uh, eight out of ten. Little second grade me was obsessed with this musical. Uh, loved it so much, uh, and you know, it's that part of me that still holds a fondness for second grade me. So second like grade is a good year. It is a good year. You don't know anything then. It's great. <laughs> Fiera was right. Knowing things is for chumps. That's one thing we can take away. <laughs> Knowing things makes you sad. Um. 
background of a concrete blonde. So it starts off in early 80s LA when two people named Johnette Napolitano and Jim Mankey are both working at studio hands for a musician named Leon Russell. Leon has to move to Philly, so the two of them decide to stick around in LA and start a band. First they call themselves the Dreamers, then Dream Six, and start, you know, building up a rep in the post-punk scene there. And they get signed with Elektra after they do an EP, but they find that, like, you know, major labels, you know, the suits are too constrictive and stuff. Apparently the last straw was the label being like, we want you guys to record a Creedence Clearwater Revival song to cover to, you know, figure out your sound. And apparently they took offense to that. And, uh... But then after they left that, uh, they get picked up by a label called IRS, which is actually one of the bigger labels in 80s American Alternative. Like, they had Ball uh, uh, of Voodoo, they had Finding the Camels, they had Oingo Boingo, they had Go-Go's, they had R.E.M. And so they're going to get a lot of more creative control there. And the label's main suggestion is just, you know, there are a lot of bands running around right now with Dream in the, in the name, so maybe try and think of another name. And uh, Michael Stipe's like, well, you guys have, you know, your lyrics are all kind of soft and introspective, but your beats are hard, and so you might want to, like, do something that plays with that. And so they pick Concrete Blonde. Uh, they pick up Harry Rushikoff as their drummer, and they put out an album, self-titled debut, that's pretty well received. Except it turns out that their contract was really bad. They got no royalties, they had no merchandising rights, and so they had to declare bankruptcy within, like, a year. And with the heightened, you know, attention from an entire band goes bankrupt, the uh, IRS negotiated the contract so that they would be able to, you know, get some money and survive. And they did decently in sort of like the regional underground scene, like uh, Bob is a Bullet was a good college rock hit. Uh, Joey went into the Billboard Top 20, and Bloodletting, their, one of their albums, became uh, went gold. They also ended up a couple times rock the... Paul Thompson, the drummer from Roxy Music, had to come in and sub for Harry because Harry was having drug problems. But then, for and this was for bloodletting and Mexican Moon. But then Harry ended up coming back on drums a couple times because Paul had to deal with some immigration issues. And but by the mid '90s, they they weren't doing so hot, and so they decided just to disband. Uh, they all went off into the separate projects and would occasionally reunite. Like a uh, Johnette and Jim would team up with a group called Los Illegals to make an album called Concrete Blonde y Los Illegals. And they would have different reunions and recorded a couple more albums. Apparently, uh, Harry got fired at one point because he just started no-showing events. And so, yeah, that's the general uh, story. This is Mexican Moon, which is like one of their last albums in the original run. And yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. It's a, it's a vibe. It's got some of their strengths, some of their weaknesses. But what do you think, Julie? So I had listened to, I don't listen to the song Bloodletting before by Concrete Blonde. So my assumption was that they were kind of gothy. Um, and I wasn't entirely wrong with some of these songs. Yeah. I had mixed feelings because uh, some of these songs I really, really liked. Like I loved Jenny I Read. Before we started recording this, I was showing my fiance the song because I absolutely adored it. I love Jonestown, but some of the songs I have mixed feelings about the vocal stylings. Um, and then there was like one or two that I just didn't vibe with super hard, just on a lyrical level. But I just, I remember um, like 
Jonnet has such a specific style that works so well with some songs. Like that's probably why I like Jenny I read so much is I love like the ragged, screamy style uh, during especially the middle section of it. It just it feels very appropriate to the theme of how much being in the spotlight can take from you and how much fading into obscurity can be kind of a blessing. Uh, but then uh, the song, oh, do, 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 uh, Jesus Forgive Me uh, for what I'm about to say. I, I just remember feeling so disappointed as I listened to the song because I really liked the lyrics. The score of it was very good. Like the, the, the harmonizing sections during the chorus were really fun. It's got like great swaggery guitar, but the vocals, they just sort of sound really silly. And I remember <laughs> thinking that like, I wish I could hear a cover of this song with nothing else changed except for the vocals because it would be really, really good otherwise. And like, I feel like that disappointment's almost worse than it being a bad song. Just like something almost being a really good song. Yeah, I definitely agree. The, the beats on here are really nice. They have a really good tight sort of, I guess like hard rock, but a little bit more theatrical and gothy style to them. But yeah, trying to, yeah, on the lower end when she does the, a lot of silly voices. And also when she like, it's going for quieter moments, I felt like. She doesn't really quite have the chops to pull those off. I, she's like a very throaty, bluesy, blunt instrument type of singer. Like a, like my comparison that I mentioned to you when we were texting about was basically emo share is what she sounds like, you know. Very good for the big power ballad moments, but when you try to get her on some softer stuff, it's not quite as good. So yeah. But when you no, get off... it was... oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, I was going to say, like, one moment that always gets me is uh, in Under the Mexican Moon, which is a really pretty song with, like, the softer guitar. And... Oh, yeah. But, like, whenever she does the little I, I, I's, like, that just sounds so silly. And it's like, come on, Jonathan. Yeah. I love the, I will say, I love the per... the... the percussion. I don't know if that's, like, uh, like it's like a maraca or like a tambourine or something, but like the uh, the percussion during Mexican Moon, I think is really nice. It's very relaxing. Like I could absolutely uh, like. There are some songs where the there is like an intentional or otherwise uh, dissonance of like the themes of the song to like what you could see yourself doing to the song. However, this the, the Mexican Moon song does a very good job of making me feel like I could absolutely meet an old lover uh, that I didn't intend to uh, running away to Mexico uh, and, I don't know, maybe share a tragic dance with them or something, or maybe share like a wistful dance. Not tragic, but it's, it is... It is the score is very thematically wonderful in that regard. Yeah, definitely. Really pretty one. Uh, a while ago, I was doing a project where, like, I reassembled one of the Twilight soundtracks, but with just 90s ones, and this was one of the ones I used for that, and that was fun. Really? Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that, uh... 
Oh wait, yeah. I was I was thought you were saying that this was in Twilight. Oh no, it was it wasn't in Twilight. No. I was going to say I'm just like I don't think they had good music in Twilight. Um, I got very good soundtracks. I we did a whole I did a whole episode a while ago. I don't. I did not listen to. I only to listen to your Twilight episode. But I maybe I've. I've seen the music. I've seen not the musicals. It is, Twilight is not a musical. It'd be really funny <laughs> if it was a musical, uh, but it is distinctly not. Uh, but no, I maybe my distaste for the story itself has blinded mm. my memory of what the music was. But I don't know. Yeah, I you know, I'm a hipster. Uh, I will say, uh, who? So was it Neapolitano who was? Uh, the the male singer for uh when you smile when you and close to home i'm not sure who was the there wasn't a whole lot in the let me double check i don't think there was a information about who the other singer i would assume it would be one of the other band members and that's what I was guessing. And this, I, yeah. I felt really bad because I remember like, thinking during the songs, listening to that, I was just like, oh my gosh, he's a really good singer. I wish he would just sing some of these songs. Um, I'm like, what's it? It's not. But then again, like, I wish he wouldn't sing all of them because John does like, a really uniquely good job with some of them. It's just, I feel so mixed because she doesn't have very great technical chops, I will say. Like, I think one of my least favorite songs um, is, oh dear, where did it go? Um, is, uh, I Call It Love. Um, mm. I think just the way that it's sung, and like, the way certain things are said off beat, like, the way she says do not in that song, and like the, the way the emphasis is put on the not, uh, like, and like which word is stretched out, it just bugged me to no end. But at the same time, uh, she has this really cool style and rain that's like, uh, like softer and smoother, and it feels like sort of like sad and wrathy. Like it, she, the fact that she is not has technically good, but has this very distinct voice nonetheless makes it feel almost like I'm listening to someone singing sad karaoke and it very much drops me into the moment of the song and so it's it's style versus substance isn't the way I'd put it but there's sort of like a battle between stylistic enjoyment versus technical skill going on in the album and it varies between song to song for me about which I think I would have preferred. Yeah, I think as far as that dilemma, I feel like the real thing happening is just like it's less how good your voice is sometimes and more how you use it. Like uh, there have been quite a few bands that we covered on here that had absolutely terrible singers, but I pretty much every metric, but because they were in a style that suited their voice, like a lot of the indie folk bands that we cover on here, like, their singers by conventional standards, outright crap, like, would you want to hear Tom Waits try a power ballad? You would not. That would be, that would be miserable. But... Well, now I kind of do. <laughs> but, well, we, we can try and go research that. But, because, you know, 
you make the style work for you, you find a way that it sounds nice. Like uh like we've said, like Jenny I read uh most of Under the Mexican Moon, honestly. And uh yeah, Rain definitely. Also I feel like Close to Home was another good example of that. Like those like when you use the voice well, it's still good. But then when you use the voice bad, when you try a style that's outside of the range, yeah, it's it suffers a lot. I call it love, I didn't like as much because it just felt like a very pretentious hippie type song. You know, just like Yeah <laughs> Here's all the world's religions, but I call it love. Because I'm enlightened. Yeah, I'll I'll be honest, kind of at the beginning, I thought it was going to go more in depth about like the, I thought the theme of the song was gonna be like, oh, okay, like you are not very philosophically deep because all you know is what other people are telling you to think based off of like predetermined religions. And so you don't think for yourself, but then it just turned into like, nah, man, like God's not real. It's just love with no further philosophical exploration. It's just like, ah, this is annoying. Um, and cool like, story, it, bro. Now puff, puff, pass. Don't puff, 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 talk, puff, puff. <laughs> Please stop. Uh, <laughs> But like, like it, it was very interesting because like the the verses I think did a better job with that. But then it just went and did the chorus over and over again more times. Mm. It's just like, oh, I see we are not going to thematically explore this. All right. <laughs> um, I feel like Heal It Up does a slightly better job with that. But I'll be honest. Once again, I wish there was more thematic exploration in that one. And I'll admit, I also personally. It's an entirely a taste thing. I didn't entirely like the style Heal It Up was in, but I think she did a good job of singing it. Um, <laughs> the fact that she, once again, she, she was given the opportunity to get to yell more. Um, yeah. Like, I really love... I, I'm not saying yelling in a degrading way. I absolutely love when singers just get to go off uh, yeah. and singers who do that well. And I feel like she does a very good job doing the chorus of that. But... I'll be honest, I wish there was more uh, verses. Yeah. I'd say I was honestly fine with what, what she gave on Heal It Up, because, yeah, because it's, a lot of it's the chorus is very nice, and, I, yeah, the, the verses, you know, they aren't, like, spectacular. They're kind of just, you know, general, you know, basic conflicted emo love poetry, but it works for the song, and since it's got a good beat to it, really like it. Sounds like an evil Bon Jovi. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bon Jovi. I shot you through the heart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, like, I feel like that song would be very good car music. I don't know how to mm. describe it, but just like uh, a song you play when you're having just a rough time sitting in the parking lot in your car or on the highway. Um, I feel like Heal It Up would be very good for that. I feel like actually that's a lot of uh, Concrete Blondes, I feel like music in general, from, from what I have listened to it, and I've only listened to some of it, so anyone who's a fan of it, take my words with a handful of salt. Um, it just, it feels very vibesy, Like, whether you like 
the lyrics or the score or not is not necessarily what you need to like it, but it just something about it just makes you feel a certain way and just like as I said sort of before, kind of drops you into a scene or drops you into a feeling. Um, and you can see it playing in the background during pivotal moments in one's life. Yeah, speaking of general vibe, it was I feel like this album honestly did sort of come out at a bad time because it feel it's just like it's just a very despite being, you know, generally alternative and like hard rock influence is just not a super nineties album because it just doesn't really have the it's not to me at least it wasn't, you know, super ironic or like stripped down or like over elaborate or anything. Well, like, over-elaborate in the way that, like, a 90s band might be over-elaborate. You know, like, it's not really a shoegaze album. It's not trying to be, like, a Nine Inch Nails industrial metal thing. It's a very, you know, it's like, it's got theatrics to it, but it's not, like, the very shock value type. Like, I feel like if this had come out more in the 80s, like, when we had, like, you know, Total Eclipse of the Heart and a lot more of the goth and hard rock Alternative, which I guess is where they came from. Or also, even if it came out in the 2000s, because, like, not only the Twilight soundtracks, but uh, Evanescence. It would have done great with Evanescence as sort of, like, scrappier. Yeah, honestly, Mm -hmm. I didn't know that this was a 90s album until you told me Mm -hmm. earlier today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is why I was kind of concerned about the Jonestown for a bit. (laughs) Because I thought, like, I assumed that this came out not too long after the Jonestown thing. Um, like, was brought to light in the news, and so I was just like, oh my gosh, this recording is kind of disrespectful. But then you told me when the album came out, like, oh, okay, this makes a lot more sense that they'd be using a recording that came out, like, 15 years later, as opposed to, like, five or less. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. You can hear a bit more of the modern influences and some of, like, the distortion, like... Uh, I keep going back to the song partially because I like it, but uh, uh, Jenny I read does uh, a bit more of like the uh, guitar distortion. I call it Love Does It, but uh, I don't like it quite as much. Uh, a little bit of When You Smile. Like you, you can hear bits and pieces of some of like uh, that sound that was more popular in the 90s, but the rest of it, like especially... It's, I think, I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, no, like, like you said, it doesn't feel very 90s. I think also just the, the fact that it was more string heavy as opposed to percussion heavy makes it feel more 80s than 90s. Yeah. yeah like, they, like how they bring out the, uh, like they have a full on fiddle for end of the line. Like, yeah, that was an, that, speaking of lyrical dissonance from earlier, that was an interesting song. Yeah. Uh, that absolutely did not sound like I thought it was going to from the name, uh, but I absolutely yeah. love upbeat songs about death. So that yeah. was a very fun surprise. Yeah. It's also, like, another thing that makes it very un-90s is just, a, like, it having more of, like, power ballads, like, Rain and Close to Home, like... Those don't. Those sound very '80s, especially like close to home, because it's just you know almost upbeat, and it's just you know sort of like acoustic strumming as you know they're doing a duet. Like 
This isn't what alternative bands like those, those songs sounded like. They sounded like a better man and daughter and all apologies. Like they were, you know, heartbreaking. Whereas my mind is another one, which I guess also came out of the late '80s. But still, that was like the prototype. But here they're just like, yeah, baby. Next we're gonna do a song about Ronald Reagan. Oh gosh, no. <laughs> Uh, I, I have I, uh, no, I, I kind of liked it though. Uh, yeah. It's interesting. I'm not, as I said before a few times as I've been on this show, I am not usually a ballad person, uh, which is hilarious that I like Wicked so much uh, yeah. because everyone's screaming about their feelings every five seconds. Uh, <laughs> but I I enjoyed some of like the slower, softer songs on this one. Like I I liked Close to Home more than I thought I would. Like I think part of it is just the the flavoring of the instruments, the fact that it was it feels like something you would listen to in like a coffee shop, just kind yes. of on like a soft rainy night. It's just like, yeah. Uh it feels like a very it feels very soothing as opposed to being more weepy, which I think is something I don't necessarily like in yeah. a lot of ballads, but I, I, I think the guitar does a very good job with that. And the album in general, I really love the, the style. Even that's not something I normally listen to. As- but uh, what, what do you say is your top pick and bottom pick for this album? Oh, I would definitely say my top pick is Rain, just because it's like, it's just a really solid song, you know, it's got the power ballad feel, it's got, you know, the a very well-executed central image with her always hearing something and thinking it's her ex, but it turns out to just be like a gloomy weather piece, and also it's got some guitar solos, which is another thing, they have really nice guitar solos on this album, and the worst is I Call It Love. Nah, I agreed on worst. See, it's so hard for me to choose my favorite because, like, I, I just said, I love that style of like sad music about your ex, uh, where it's just like all these little sensory reminders, and it's just like, nope, it's just the rain. I'm like, oh, oh, ow, uh, it hurts. But the 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 score for that one works so well with it too. I love the soft little guitar intro. I think it's one of her, uh, John Ott's better sung songs. Um, like despite her not her having more trouble with the soft parts usually, she does a really good job with that one. Um, uh, the especially like the instrumentation on the verses, I think, is my favorite part. Um, but I also love Jenny. I read. Uh, I love the sort of like wailing in the middle. Uh, I love like the kind of grungy softness at the beginning. I will say like the. The spoken lyrics at the end didn't do it quite as much for me, but yeah. I I like the lyrics themselves. Uh, like, I love the lyrics like that the, she has miles and miles of memories between now and then, uh, and all they have are pictures. And that's such a a really great way to describe someone being satisfied with their life, even if other people don't necessarily understand it. Um, and also Jonestown, uh, like they, I, I liked, uh, the audio quality of the sampling. I, I like doing, I like when, uh, uh, 
audio sampling for songs he's beginning, kind of like Rob Zombie songs, are kind of like scratchy. It feels like you are listening to it through like an older radio. Um, the guitar, like a kind of like swaggery guitar and bass, are at peak in this song. Um, it's uh, a sort of uh, similar, I think, vocal quality to Mexican Moon, pretty good. Uh, like it, this song feels like sort of like I wouldn't quite, I would not call it metal at all, but it's sort of like the way I describe it is if someone uh, left it in the fridge next to an open container of metal uh, and just sort of got like little bits of flavor on it, and I love it. It's it's really good, uh, and it's the the lyrics are really nice too in terms of. Uh, well, not really nice. They're upsetting theme, uh, but it does a very good job of capturing some of like the blind fear and desperation around cults. Uh, yeah, I thought it was fun in that regard. Thank you so much for introducing me to the album. I will definitely. <laughs> this is definitely uh, going on my. Uh, quite a few songs are going on some of my Spotify playlists, um, and so I I am. Always happy to find new stuff that I will obsessively listen to until I ring every last bit of dopamine out of the song. <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's, that's It's the only way to listen to music, in my opinion. Mm. That's about mm. all I got. Uh, you got any last? Uh, any parting words? Uh, both of these albums were pretty good. Like I said, I, I will admit. I am personally biased towards Wicked, um, but I feel uh, like we have both, the, on one end we have themes, pure themes, uh, and on the other end we have uh, some songs, like a lot of good uh, gore and vibes, which I feel like, I feel like, yeah, Wicked and uh, Mexican Moon are in two opposite camps where uh what parts i like about them uh they're quite opposite i know there's, there's some of the songs are really thematically good but um it's it's very interesting what i think about them first uh although both of them are absolutely good listens i would 100 percent recommend i would 100 recommend watching wicked that way uh like we said it helps fix some of the problems of the themes not being entirely apparent uh without the context of the rest of the musical um, but uh, similarly I absolutely recommend if you get a chance watching some lyric videos uh, for Mexican Moon uh, I think it makes the lyrics easier to understand at some points um, when on some of the songs where John had something a little bit more trouble uh, but overall both very good soundtracks and I would absolutely give my seal of approval harp seal very cute good. Good to hear, good to hear. Well, that's about all the time that we have for today, folks. The albums that we listened to were the soundtrack to Wicked and uh, Mexican Moon by Concrete Blonde. I'm Caleb Clark. And I'm Leo Casey. Thanks for listening to the Billy Shears Club. Bye-bye.